the Bible portrays David and Jonathan's relationship as very close. What are we to make of this covenant love that we see in their relationship? This is Consider It, where we are considering questions regarding life, theology, and the church. Consider It is a ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Do you have questions regarding life, theology, or the church? If so, text the word REDEMPTION and your question to 830-299-7505. Again, that's 830-299-7505, and we will consider your question. To learn more about our church and our ministry here, visit redemption.bible. I'm Michael Hawkins. And I'm Blair Cushman. Let's consider it. We've got another interesting question today. Let's take it. Why or how can we assume that David and Jonathan were not homosexual? Why and how should we not assume that David and Jonathan were not homosexual? This is a great question. And I actually really like how it's worded here um, because it, uh, uh, it provokes a really good discussion about what the Bible says, but also how we approach the Bible, right? right? Um, uh, you know, just as we even begin to take, tackle the question, and, uh, uh, and I'm just intrigued <laughs> by this, uh, but I think it's really helpful for us as we want to be just good Bible students and stuff, uh, and, and also understanding how we approach the Bible, but even just the word assume. Right. Yeah. Um, because really, we shouldn't make any assumptions about the Bible, right? Uh, this is God's word. When we're coming to it, we want to be really clear and definitive, and not just uh, speculate or make assumptions. Or at least, like if we are, where there are gaps in the Bible of just saying, "Hey, we just don't know." Yeah. Um, and looking at other places in Scripture to help us to to understand it more clearly. And so, looking at for it, sure. In a in a totality yeah. to say, okay, I don't understand it here, and it seems this, but what does the rest of Scripture say? Right, and 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 having that having that mindset is what's leading us to find answers or to withhold judgment. Because if we just make an assumptions, we're okay. We're saying, well, we've kind of made some maybe some conclusions in our mind, and then and then we build off of that. And assumptions are just a really unstable foundation for our understanding of what's going on in the yeah. Bible. Especially because, you know, we see everything through our culture and our Western eyes. And so, right. you know, it's, we, we begin to, to allow culture to dictate the way that we see things For and influence sure. our, our reading and understanding of Scripture. And that's just, it right. wasn't written in the same time frame and, and, and all of those things right. and cultures and whatnot. So. Right. And that's, that's a really uh, important part of this the answer to this question and our discussion that we're having here is because we have like a cultural lens in which we read the Bible, which you're right, this Western American Texan, you know, we're here in New Braunfels, like we have a cultural lens that that we just live in, that we view the world from. We also have personal biases from our own experiences yeah. and things that, you know, are influenced by the culture, but also, you know, our sinful propensities and, and things like that, that we that we, that we just view the world and we read the Bible uh, through. And and so as good Bible students, just that hermeneutical principle that we have to get to the original audience in order to understand the passage. That's right. That, and that's not just, you know, in our discussion of 1 Samuel here and the question about David and Jonathan's relationship. That's no matter what passage we're in. Right. right? 
um, if we're in the book of Colossians, this is why a good and a helpful understanding of what was happening in Colossae when it was written, what was going on in that church, and what were they being influenced by, and why was Paul writing to them, you know, and different yeah. things like that, or yeah. Philemon, or, you know, any of the books of the Bible. Um, what was it for? To whom was it written? Who was it written by? To the best of our ability to understand it. Right. And so we have to get into that, understand that, that then helps us understand the context. Right. Um, because we can, you know, read passages like this and, you know, through those lenses and, you know, as it pertains to David and Jonathan and, and their relationship and those assumptions of homosexuality, well, that's really, a, that's, I think those assumptions are driven by our, our over-sexualized uh, cultural lens in which we, you know, just which we view the world through. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, which wasn't the case in the ancient Near Eastern Hebrew world, the original readers and writers of this. That's really more of a modern, you know, the last several hundred years, really through the influence of Sigmund Freud, of viewing everything through a sexualized lens that has just influenced our our culture so much. That that even stood before him and just the whole, like, uh, inner man and our personal happiness is what's, you know, what is most important about us. And that moment by moment satisfaction that we have, that we are chasing our happiness, and that's just fundamental to who we are and just that personal thing. And then along comes Sigmund Freud and say, well, actually, and what's at the very core of that is our sexual fulfillment. Right. And, and, and so that has influenced then over the last, you know, how many decades and longer of, uh, uh, of we just see the world through that. And so you see kind of a, a, any sort of affection that's, you know, that you read about in the Bible or, you know, affection between two friends or something. And, and, and we just automatically make these assumptions that it has to be sexual. Right. Yeah. And something that you and I have talked about in the past is, uh, you know, you, you enjoy reading about our past presidents mm-hmm. and, you know, talking about Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. And uh, I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about some of that, that language that some people did begin to even question his sexuality and things right. because of his poetic kind right. of odd language. Yeah, a while back I read a great biography on, on Abraham Lincoln and uh, titled Team of Rivals. It's fantastic if, if you want to really get not just on him, but what made him a great president and... and uh, uh, and how we led through the Civil War and all this. It's, it's probably the best on Abe Lincoln. Um, maybe that's out there. I mean, there might be other scholarly works, but it's really, really good. And just why he was, why, why, why he rose to political influence in the way that he did um, and his ability to attract a team of really highly skilled people around him. But one of the uh, parts, and it's just really a subpoint in it, was uh, he was also just a great orator and a great writer. And so you go back through and you read his journals and letters and things like that. And you see some of his early life and how he wrote. But it wasn't just him. There's kind of a, a, a chapter and a discussion on even just some of the other, you know, just the men of those days and how they would write and describe their friendship and their affection for one another. Yeah. And even, you know, like to things where he, you know, he shared a room in his early days before he was married. He shared a room above a, a you know, above a bank or something like that. I, I don't even remember what it was. But with a, with a friend as he was trying to make it as a lawyer. And all they had was one bed, you know. And they, yeah. that's just what they did. But there's no indication of any sort of homosexuality or anything like that. But we read that now through our sexual lens. And we say, oh, it must have been. Oh, well, it had to be. Which is like, wait, 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 time out. Right. Right. 
we have zero proof, zero indication, there are some biases or some assumptions, like even going back to our question here, right. that our world today, and we read that stuff back into it, that is really inappropriate. We can't do that, you right. know? And we have to take a step back and say, well, no, just because somebody would speak in a manner like that or have this affection for, you know, somebody of the opposite sex, that doesn't mean that it's it's sexual in nature. Right. And, uh, and so that same dynamic, not only do people read back into, like, just history, in American history, the same has happened. And I've heard this, you know, I've had this question asked and heard an argument be made. And even those that would advocate that, no, homosexuality is, you know, okay and condoned by the Lord, which we, you know, disagree with. Right. Um, it's outside of God's design for uh, human sexuality. They would use this relationship in First Samuel, particularly in chapters eighteen and twenty, uh, to say, "See, see, 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 mm-hmm. see! Like this is God's anointed. He's you know the lion. He's part of the the line of the Messiah. And you know, that, right. yes, it's right. Sure. And and we just have these biases that we have to be very careful about." And it's not just in terms of sexuality. I mean, the same is true. We've talked about this in other podcasts. The same is true when we come to places of, like, slavery in the Bible. We have our, you know, kind of cultural context and our biases. And, you know, we read our understanding of, like, American chattel slavery back into the scriptures. Yeah. We have to be very careful of that. You know, on both sides. There are some people who use it, you know, to, to, uh, to advocate for us. I've seen God doesn't, he doesn't outright say it's wrong. And even using, like, books like Philemon, which, you know, we just preached through here, saying, no, like, uh, if a slave ran away, they have to go back to their master and just making the Bible say what's not. Or also just people using that kind of concept, say, like, to throw out the Bible, because we clearly know in the moral sense that, that uh, abusive slavery is very wrong and, and uh, the treating of image bearers in such a way based on what they look like or where they're from or how they speak is, is obviously very wrong. And so they'll just throw out the Bible. And so that, that's just a, that's a whole other discussion, but it's just another example yeah. of the danger of our presuppositions and our biases and the cultural lenses in which we come to the, the Bible. And we can't always help it. But the more we're exposed to it, then we have to say, okay, all right, what what is this? And so yeah. I can't just make an assumption about their relationship, you know, whether it's like this or in, in another case, you know, and we know David isn't just like the most chaste, pure man throughout, you know, <laughs> right. like, he'll go on to sin with Bathsheba and have all these wives and things, and you're thinking like, what in the world? And yeah. even later at the end of, we're jumping ahead in David's life, you know, and he's an old man. And they, they provide this young girl to come, like, help keep him warm and to care for him. Yeah. And people read into that and, like, oh, well, that, of course, had to be sexual, you know. Yeah. And it's like, time out. We, we, we cannot make those assumptions about what's going on in the Bible um, without, unless there's, like, very clear, like, this is wrong. And, right. And come back. Well, yeah. Even if we ever take a man's actions in the Bible as our our moral compass yeah. like we're not looking at it in the right ways right because yeah. the whole purpose is God's faithfulness not David's faithfulness right. and we see that with you know the Bathsheba incident and, and all right. of these different things but what what he did recognize is that the Lord wanted his broken and contrite heart and so there was repentance and that's 
that's what we want to model is that that repentance, that coming back to the Lord, trusting in his faithfulness and those things. So even in that, we don't look at the man, David or right. Paul or anyone else as, an, you know, the the moral compass it's, right. it's Christ alone that's right yeah. which brings us to another hermeneutical principle of not determining doctrine from a narrative yes uh, that we have you know the, the narratives or the stories of the Bible are illustrating doctrinal truths and truths about the Lord um, but we can't come to texts like these and the examples like you're saying and uh, and and say oh well because David did it it must be right exactly no, sometimes the example is no, it's wrong, you know, <laughs> and and so we have to look for other propositional truths, other places in the Bible where that's very clearly laid out, especially in terms of morality and what's right and what's wrong, what honors the Lord, what dishonors the Lord, and and then how is how are these stories or illustrations narrating or illustrating or adding color to our understanding of these truths. Um, and so just because somebody did it doesn't mean that it's an example to follow. You right. know, it yeah. might be a not an example to follow. Yeah. And so these are these these are just really helpful. You know, we're talking a lot about and maybe really got into it. Like, so what is it? What is that relationship yeah. about? Well, that's uh, some people listening may be like, what are, like what's this mm-hmm. even about? Like David and Jonathan? Like why would anyone even right ask this question? Right. So maybe they're maybe might, they're unfamiliar with it. Yeah, maybe might be helpful just to, to go and yep. just kind of look at why somebody might ask for sure. Question. Yeah, that, that's great. Keep keeping us on track here. Well, it's, it's just helpful. We want to start by just laying the foundation so you yeah. see where we get these answers from and, and how we approach our Bible. And so yeah. if you're unfamiliar, maybe this is the first time you're even hearing that there maybe are some assumptions about this or whatever, it uh, really begins in 1 Samuel 18. Okay, First uh, Samuel eighteen is is really like the it's God's building of the of the kingdom, in particular the kingdom that will come through David and his line, and God making a covenant with uh, David uh, and his lineage here, and so that's really where it comes in human history. So they've been delivered into the promised land. Things went really bad in Judges, like for <laughs> for you know uh, centuries, even through that bad kings, well no kings, just judges. Everybody doing what is uh, right in their own eyes. Yeah. Nobody following the Lord, and it's really bad. And so now the people have asked, we want a king. And Saul comes. Saul's now the king, but it's not great. They just appoint him because he's tall and handsome, and you know, he looks good, and, and that's a recipe uh, for a disaster. <laughs> yep. you know, just because somebody can uh, looks good and can speak well, doesn't necessarily make them fit you know it's about character and god's mercy and grace and so now david has just been anointed king he's a shepherd boy unlikely youngest of his family and uh, god in his grace says that's going to be my king and so uh now some time has gone by in uh in in the story and uh, he's just fought Goliath, so that's where it comes. Chapter sixteen, David's anointed king. Chapter seventeen now is the whole David and David and Goliath yeah. thing, and and uh, and and God is confirming that this is who's going to be my king. And then you get to chapter eighteen, and you have kind of this this weird. Uh, scenario. And so I'm just going to read it. If you're driving and listening to this, you don't have to turn there. If you're mm-hmm. sitting somewhere, you can grab your Bible. First uh, Samuel 18, beginning in verse 1, says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. 
And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. That's through verse 5. And after that, then, it's all about Saul's jealousy because David is very successful and all this. And, and so um, then you, you know, Saul tries to kill him as we go on here. But, uh, but here's where that language and where it's like, oh, what's going on here? Yeah. Our soul's being knit. They're making a covenant. Jonathan seems he's like taking off his clothes. Like, what's going on <laughs> here? Right? Yep. And, uh, and, and then a few chapters later in chapter 20, then it also seems it's that whole passage where um, I'll just kind of give the overview of David is super paranoid because Saul has tried to kill him. And so David's hiding and Jonathan's like, hey, I'm going to go ask my dad and I'll send a, 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 and see what, you know, I'll kind of take the temperature of like, does he, is, is he, you know, does he like you? Is he wanting to kill you? And yeah. you go out and hide there. I'll shoot a bow. And if it's to the right or to the left, you know, we'll tell you and I'll send a, you know, a kid out to go get it. But even in that, in chapter 20, he's talking about Jonathan making a covenant. Verse 8, Therefore, dear, kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there's guilt in me, uh, you know, kill me yourself, or why should he bring me to their father? And so David is like, hey, you made this covenant with me. You know, and Jonathan's like, I didn't, you know, uh, wait, what? <laughs> And then later in verse 16 also, 1 Samuel 20, verse 16, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, and he loved him as his own soul. And so, you know, we read that, and through our, like, Western sexualized lens, I think, you know, you can see why it leads to the assumptions of... uh, you know, that the question is alluding to. And yet, that's not the case of what's happening here. What's, and, and just to, you know, kind of quickly answer the question, and then I'll explain it, is this is this is covenant allegiance that Jonathan is swearing to David. Yes. It's not sexual eros love. This is a covenant allegiance that we really even don't have a great English word. See, our English language is, is actually kind of uh, f- um, insufficient when it comes to these matters here. You know, in, in other languages, you have multiple words for love, and yet, uh, um, and yet we just have this one. And it could be a love, you know, that exists between friends, that phileo love. Um, it could be an eros love, the erotic or sexualized love. Um, there's, you know, which most people are familiar. These are Greek terms, by the way. But that uh, agape love, the unconditional, committed uh, love that uh, uh, is really synonymous with sacrifice. But in Hebrew, also, the, the, the word hased, it's, it's often translated in our Bible, you'll see it, the steadfast love of the Lord forever. So like in Psalm 136, that like refrain, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, the steadfast love. Or sometimes you'll see it as loving kindness in a translation. Yeah. Um, 
we don't have a great word because it's a, it's a covenant love. It's a committed love, right. which is also just even in our Western lens is just a, a, a peace that is, is not attached to love, just the commitment yeah. aspect of it, the yeah. covenant uh, aspect of love that leads to things like laying, being sacrificial, you know, like as husbands are called to lay down their life, uh, love their wives and, uh, to the point of laying down their life. Well, and even in the same language, it's something that we're more familiar with is mm-hmm. the the first two commands of love the Lord your God yeah. and then yeah. love your neighbor as yourself. Right. And so here we're seeing that Jonathan is modeling that, that he loves David yeah. as he loves his own soul. Like it's right. that, that same covenant love that as we are in the body, as we are to love and to, to come alongside one another, like this is the love that we're called to have for one another. Right, right, right. And so you have that. And then even larger than that in this, in this, in these chapters here of this commitment to God's covenant that he's made with David. Yeah. And so what's happening, like, let's just go back to, to chapter 18 here. When, when it's saying he's, they're loving each other, Jonathan makes this covenant and then he strips himself with a robe, gives it to David, his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Well, what is that? Well, let's put ourselves, this is where context is so key. Who's king right now? Saul is. Yes, the Lord has anointed David, said you're going to be the king through, you know, who I'm going to do this with. Jonathan is Saul's son. And so if Saul dies, who like, who becomes king right now? Jonathan. Jonathan becomes king. He has a royal robe, all these things. This is an act of him pledging his allegiance away from the lineage of his father, of himself saying, I am not the heir. I am now giving you the royal robe, my royal belt, my sword, my I'm giving you this. He's saying, I am giving up what would my inheritance, my role for you. He is committing, covenanting with David in his line, saying, you are the king, not me. Yeah, he's recognizing God's anointing on David, and he's submitting to the Father and his sovereign will. Right, and saying, I see what the Lord is doing here. It's a great act of faith, is what it is. He is believing. Saul is all jealous. Saul's going to try to kill David once he hears about this, uh, uh, about how the Lord has anointed him. And Jonathan, on the other hand, is saying, no, I'm reckoning this is of the Lord. I am laying down from a human terms what would rightfully be mine, and I am making this covenant my to the very point of my soul. I'm committing you to this. Yeah. And so then when you get into chapter 20, what he's doing is he's proving that covenant allegiance yeah. to David, where David's all paranoid now because Saul's after him in his life and and and, and like, oh, is he going to kill me? Are you on my side and all that? And Jonathan's like, bro. Yeah, I committed to this. Why are you questioning yeah. my commitment, my covenant? I'm not like I'm not pulling a fast one on you. <laughs> I gave you my, I did all this. Let me now prove that to you. And he does. I'm not out to get you, yeah, bro. I no, I did this. My soul is knit to you. I'm in this for the long haul yeah. because of what the Lord is is doing. Well, and I think even as we look at the culture in those days and the you know the family commitments mm-hmm. and the the loyalties to those things like this is the reason David is paranoid is because this is so unlike right. the culture right. and so for, for Jonathan to to respond in this this way is just so countercultural that right. it's only by right the Lord you know working through him to you know to bring this about absolutely absolutely this is coming at great like this is his inheritance Jonathan's you yeah. know like he is a is the rightful heir to assume 
all the riches, all the prestige, all the power, all the influence of the, you know, the kingship over Israel. He's saying, no, this is the Lord's, this is what he's doing. And so he is, he is handing all of that over to uh, this brother of his and, uh, and is in it for the, you know, for the long haul. And uh, he proves it there in chapter 20. And then, you know, then all the rest of the events of their life and, and there's lots of war and lots of um, uh, uh, Saul chasing David all around through the wilderness of Israel. And, you know, it ends, First Samuel ends with Saul and Jonathan's death. And then you get into, into you know, to Second Samuel and David is grieving their death and, you know, talks about them. And even, you know, in terms of love, this Second Samuel 1 and this uh, lament, this song of lament that uh, David writes for them and, 2 Samuel 1, 23, Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, you know, um, and, you know, oh, there it is again, you know, in our modern kind of, like, lens, uh, think, oh, there it, there's that love again, and just talking, you know, about this, the love that they had for one another, the love that they had for uh, David, and um, that's, uh, that's really based in the commitment, in that covenant. Yeah. At, uh, that's just really a foreign concept to us now. Yeah, and, and, and we see the effects of it today. And, you know, we live in a non-committal world. Yeah. Um, and, uh, no, you know, people aren't, don't stay true to their word and stuff. And, you know, with divorce rates and all those things as well. But, um, and, you know, just in the kind of the casual, even when it comes to sexuality, just kind of the casual viewpoint of it that's detached from covenant and commitment even there. Yeah. But... You know, which isn't the case, but in, in 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 their relationship, but yet that commitment that is so that that's attached to yeah. to love, and in this case, it's the covenant. It, you know, in Second Samuel seven is then when God will will make His covenant with David about the lineage, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, you will have a king that will uh, remain on the throne forever. Right. You know? And uh, and what we see fulfilled in Jesus uh, down the line, and and uh, you know where where Christ will come back to rule on David's throne in the millennium, yeah, you know? and uh, and the ultimate fulfillment of that, um, that's you know that's yet to come from this. But that's really the basis. So we can't assume that stuff. Yeah. This this is covenant language, not sexual language. That's right. And I think just as we see that progressive revelation throughout Scripture. Mm-hmm. Like, we can go and, and see this looking back right. now and, and understand yeah. this through what was fulfilled, you know, as the Lord made that covenant with David in, right. you know, in chapter 7 of Second Samuel and then the fulfillment through Christ as the Messiah. And so we can then follow that back through and see that this is covenantal language, that this is right. Jonathan pledging his allegiance to David because of his faith in the Lord and seeing God's anointing on David and right and so I think when we when we do have that it changes the way that we care for one another because Absolutely. we're no longer focused on us and we're right. no longer at the center of our own world right but we're trusting in God's sovereignty we're trusting in his plans and we're just trying to fulfill and steward what we've been given yeah in the midst of that right to to be a part of right. what the Lord has Right. call us to do right and which which is really even just kind of this concept of this kind of covenantal committed love you know especially that exists amongst friends that is really a large part missing in our world today but that we have 
that can still yet exist within our, you know, in our church relationships, our, our, our biblical relationships that we have in our uncommon community. Yeah. Now, gr- granted, this is to a much larger degree here. You know, this is the, the covenants and all that <laughs> right. stuff. And yet it, within like our small groups and the brothers, yeah. you know, like um, these are the commitments that we make. Like, because I love you, brothers, I'm like committing here. I'm sacrificing. I'm going to go the distance. I'm going to be there in the hard times. I'm going to help you, uh, you know, grow and mature in your faith. Uh, I, I want to be, you know, I'm, 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 I'm committing to your holiness right. and your growth and your pursuit of Christ. And, and, and so there's a similarity there that when we commit to doing that in, in you know, like a, in friendship and in brotherhood and, mm-hmm. you know, even in like in in a marriage ceremony, you know, why it's and it's largely lost. But, you know, when you have your groomsmen and your bridesmaids and all that, there's a sense of that, you know, that's really lost in our day now because we made the whole ceremony about a party and, right. you know, and just yeah. about you know, uh, all the wrong things. And yet, in a sense, it's like, no, those people that are there are the ones who are committing and standing alongside and saying, hey, no, I'm here. I'm your bro. And I'm committing to helping this commit this covenant that you're making with this woman or this man before the Lord. And uh, and, and we're we're here to walk this out with you. And so it's even what's happening here is is really kind of similar to what, you know, what's intended by a Christian marriage and, you know, those friendships and and people there. And I think just seeing how the the enemy has come in and distorted the idea of Mm -hmm. intimacy and and, and true love, the love that we're called to have for one another has now been sexualized to the point where it's almost... You know that we're we're in this masculinity culture of yeah. like, you know, we can't can't show that, or you're immediately assumed, you know, homosexual. Right. As going back to the question, it's like, right? It's like no, like, right. we can't allow the enemy to hijack for sure the things that the Lord has has called us right to do. Right? Yeah, men. You know, in particular, we don't have to be afraid of being friends with other men. You yeah. know, and uh, and and. You know, and being open about that, and you know, we don't have to be weird about it, but right. but but at the same time, like, yeah, we can be great friends, and we can be open and honest about what's going on in our life, and we can, you know, yeah. and we can put our arm around one another and give one another a hug and things like that, and it's okay, you know, it's not sexualized; it's just a show of uh, of affection and commitment to one another's growth and holiness. Yeah, and just as you're talking, a funny story when I was in Papua New Guinea, um, it's been several years back a lot of years back yeah um but it's normal for men to walk down the street holding hands mm. yep and it's just a an interesting yeah concept but in other parts of the world like those are just it's just normal culture yeah, yeah. and so i think again just seeing how our cultures influence the way right. that we see these things helps us to realize the dangers um of allowing that to influence the way that we right. the scriptures. Right. It'd be curious, you know, just <coughs> plop down the Bible, let, uh, you know, someone in Papua New Guinea read first Samuel and to see like, would they have those same assumptions, right. you know, about their relationship? No, actually, you know, they probably would, that wouldn't even be on their radar. Um, and so it just kind of brings us back around full circle yep. to those, the cultural assumptions and the personal biases that we have to be aware of yep. when we come to the scripture. And the importance of getting back to their original audience and the intended argument and the context in the scripture and, uh, and being careful of what we pull out, especially when we come to narratives or the stories of the Bible. 
and uh, what doctrines and what things are we pulling out and just being very careful and being good Bible students and uh, and particularly in this case coming back to just the, that kind of the concept of covenant love and covenant faithfulness of the loyal love that uh, that God has to his covenants and calls us to um, to his covenants and his people and one another so it's a great, great uh, discussion, and uh, let's uh, press on and in biblical friendship with one another. Thanks for tuning in to Consider It, where we are considering your questions regarding life, theology, and the church. Consider It is a ministry of Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, Texas. If you would like to submit a question, text the word redemption and your question to 830-299-7505. To learn more about our church and the ministry here, visit redemption.bible. Thank you for your support and listening. Join us next time as we consider it.